welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast with me, Steph Fairburn. Thank you for joining us as we get insights and ideas from coaches working across the game to help you develop into the coach you want to be. Soccer Coach Weekly has just come back from the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia. While we were there, we had a booth on Podcast Row and had a number of incredible conversations with some brilliant coaches. This podcast episode is one of those conversations. It's with Kai Edwards, head coach at the Southern Utah Thunderbirds. I caught up with Kai to explore his journey in depth, talk about how he manages his ego and why he's no longer a transactional coach. First, though, he told me how he's enjoying the convention. Yeah, a nice little travel over from Cedar City, Utah to, to here. It was not bad, same weather, so life's good. What have you seen so far? How important do you think it is to have networking opportunities, things like this, to really develop ourselves as coaches? Yeah, I just uh, sat in a really good session about using quantitative and qualitative data uh, to, to create your game model or, or to reinforce your game model and, you know, and, and how to contextualize the data and information that you get from GPS or heart rates or, or whatever monitoring to, to maximize individual performance. And I thought it was very good. Um, last night, I hung out with some people and, you know, just hanging out and seeing people and seeing people you haven't seen in years and catching up. And um, I think it's very important. I, I mean, I've been offered jobs at this, this convention before in my life. I assistants have my friends have i've been asked about jobs so i i think it's it's probably one of the best networking ways to educate yourself you know that soccer does in america okay so quick challenge for you in one minute tell us about yourself and who you are <laughs> as a coach perfect uh i was born and raised in los angeles california san pedro um didn't start club soccer till 14 or 15 did taekwondo and basketball and uh all that good stuff Played uh, Division II soccer at Sonoma State. Was part of the national championship team in 02. Um, got into coaching. Uh, first team I ever had. Had Kristen Press and Whitney Egan, two future World Cup stars on it at U12. Uh, stayed in it, worked, competed, failed, got dropped out, came back in. Um, on my second Division I program ever, and I'm one of, uh, we think, three to five black coaches in America to ever do that on the women's side. And um I try to educate myself, got a master's from Ohio University in coaching education, have my A license, and keep working and coaching. Nailed it. I think that was under a minute. Perfect. Great job. <laughs> um, I suppose what you've just described there then is a up and down journey, lots happening, probably a lot of resilience needed. What is it through all of that that has kept you in coaching, that has kept you going, that's kept you coming back? To be honest, without being overly dramatic it's a little bit of there's nowhere else to go you know without you know obviously I, there probably is but I don't think there is you know and I've always uh set myself up that way there is no there is no way to fail because there's nowhere else to go right and a little bit of the back against the wall of okay well this didn't work out or you lost this job or whatever well just go do something else I I've never even thought minus one moment that that's an option. So when you eliminate that option, you fight back a lot harder and a lot quicker because you don't want the alternative. Um, and I think believing in yourself and having other people believe in you. My wife is one of the people when I failed to stand there and be like, you can coach and 
Jerry Smith from Santa Clara, Neil at Cal, have been, you know, Walid and Ziad at Slimers. They're people who have called me in my lowest moments and have said, you're a good coach, keep going, you know. And sometimes you need that, that reminder, and you know, and then if you think there's nowhere else to go, uh, I think it also helps because you won't accept the bottom of failure. You just find a way to climb yourself back up the next morning. And I suppose another tough question then. How do you define coaching? What is coaching to you? Maximizing individual performance for the team. So can you pull everything out of a kid and let them uh, facilitate them reaching a goal that maybe they didn't think they could or maybe they wanted to, but they didn't know how? Um, and then putting multiple goals together to reach a common goal with a group, you know, and then 10 years down the line, having that player still play, you know, if it's pickup, if it's whatever, if they're coaching, have them a part of the game, you know, you've done your job, you know, and um, now I kind of base it on how many weddings I, I get invited to. You know, I went to two this December, they're, they're both still on our team. I coach in Utah, so they're sophomores and seniors on our team. Um, but when you're invited to weddings, you, you know you've, you've probably had a pretty lasting impact. But, yeah, maximizing uh, individual performance and cohesively putting it together as a group. And tell me then, what does that look like, I suppose, on the day-to-day? How do you set the foundations to create that environment? And then what do your sessions look like? Yeah, yeah. what does that look like day-to-day? Yeah, I mean, we do individual development plans for each player where they fill it out, even though with our influence. Um, and then we look at what is the objective of micro and macro uh, setting of plans. Is it the day? Is it the week? Are we getting ready in the spring right now? It's for the whole whole spring, you know, where in the fall it's Tuesdays getting ready for match day on Friday. Um, so it's what is the goal? Um, and then what is the objective physically first? Because we have to manage workload. Uh, and then tactically, technically, um, and psychologically, what is the goal? Individually and in functional groups. Granted, it's a lot of information, but I think that's what it takes. And then we create a session plan based on that information and then reassess at the end or even in the middle of the training, is this what we want? Did we get our desired effect? If so, why or why not? Do we need to change or change not? Or do we stay on the plan for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? And what is your, I suppose, preferred session delivery style i think it's something coaches figure out as they go along how do you like your sessions to look yeah i want them to be drained by the end of it um more emotionally and physically right that you've you've set up a session that in, uh makes them want to to pour their heart in their mind in i always tell them you might not always be physically done but if we're doing our job you should be, feel like you gave everything out of your heart out of your soul out of your mind and almost be emotionally drained because that's what the training elicited was uh to think and to care and to to be about yourself and your teammates and everything you know and i think when you do that i think most people would say when you play a kayak coast team there's passion right they, you're gonna feel it uh from them uh in the way they play and what they do so i, I like that to come out of a session, um, along with the pure intellect of why did we do what we did, right? And be able to stop a student athlete at any point and say, why did you make that decision? And the decision could be right, but to have the personal confidence to answer the question because you did it for a reason. And how much of that do you think is actually about soccer? And how much of it is about actually just being a human and surviving life? 
Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of both, and I think they're both important. And sometimes I think it's un- or not sometimes I think it's important to know when is it more important to be the human side. But then there are soccer moments where the soccer is important, right? It can't be at the 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 downfall of the human. But there are soccer moments where tactics matter and and the understanding of cohesive ideas matter. Uh, it just can't be, you know, throwing the human away. But I think it's understanding what is important in each moment, right? And I always tell people I'm a Libra. So part of what I do is try to be as balanced as possible and understand what does the moment call for and do what the game and the moment needs, not what I want to do. And I think that was one of my biggest shifts as a coach uh, in probably the last five years. It's always what I wanted to do. This is what I want out of the session. This is what I wanted out of the player. Where now it starts to go, what does the moment need? And what, you know, and not me forcing a moment, but reading the moment. Tell us a bit more about that then. How did you develop on that? I mean, that sounds tough to... I failed. (laughs) Of course. And then you kept going. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I failed miserably. I was was probably more of a transactional coach at a time. And uh, I think hopefully not for anyone else you you fail and you realize it wasn't the best uh and i failed and uh, my contract wasn't renewed and i had to reinvent myself and i went and worked at other places and learned uh, a new approach and a new way uh to do things to still get to the same final point i was trying to get to but in a more efficient and and positive way and um i think when you fail is part of it uh your ability to self-reflect is the bigger part so I also had very good friends that told me I failed and didn't kiss my butt and told me, oh, no, it's the athletic director's fault. It's this. No, you failed. This is why you failed. Um, and I think that crucial conversation being real um, really helped me look at myself. And, yeah. And I, you know, I was a Division One head coach who went back to being a volunteer director of ops, you know, not being able to coach and just watch training sessions. Right. That's humbling. You know, when when you've won games, you beat top 25 teams as a coach and now you're not even allowed to coach. You're just watching. Right. It's a very humbling situation, but it was what was needed. So I think, you know, hopefully no one has to fail. But when you fail, when you have belief in yourself and other people believe in you, but also can give you the crucial conversation and be real with with you. I think that's important because I think so many people fluff things up. To make sure everyone feels good and then they keep creating the same problems i suppose when you're talking i'm thinking a lot about ego and the egos that exist within the game and, and i have a huge ego too <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you manage that then how do you keep the ego i suppose locked away for a bit to try and get to that reflection and learning that you've been talking about yeah i think the ncaa in sports will humble you right so yeah do i have an ego of course um i want to win everything i want to help coach people i want to win it everything i want to do the best but when you don't do it the right way and not and like a wrong way but you weren't successful in how the way you do it the ncaa administration your own players will humble you real quick by either not playing hard for you or losing your contract or whatever so instead of saying it's their fault you have to look and say well why was it my fault right and i take blame on many things a kid leaves my team it could be homesick whatever but okay then why didn't we make it more of a home feeling for him why didn't we check in with them more you know was it playing time okay well why didn't we uh show value it even in five minutes of playing time to him right and do i always get it right no but it's always self-reflection and it's on me how can we make it better and then outsourcing that information when you don't know and 
what I do more now than I ever did before, I, I ask the players. I never did that before. I, I was always right. So now, you know, I, I've met Howell's the sessions, you know, but give them my vulnerable side of, you don't have to tell me what you think I want to hear. Tell me, you know, and I had a couple of players that, hey, it, was, it got a little clunky in this. I didn't really understand it. I was working hard, but I didn't really understand it. Okay. You know, what part didn't you understand? You know, and give them the permission uh, to analyze me because I analyze them, right? And my ego isn't so big that I'm afraid of someone saying your session sucks. Like, you're probably right. Okay, but why? Like, you can't just have the comment. You have to say why, right? And maybe I can facilitate leading you to why, you know, um, and give you permission to hold me accountable. But in that self-reflection is when we grow. Yeah, that leads me on to ask, I was going to say, how open are you with your players when you think you failed or when things have gone wrong? But do you think that's important that we are, we show that side as coaches because we expect that of our players, I suppose. We want them to feel safe and like they can make mistakes and they can fail in avert commas. Is it important that we show them that so that they can do the same? Yeah, I mean, I would say my first probably five to ten years, I wasn't a human. I was a coach. And all I did was coach. I, I, I had no feelings. I, that's who I was. Um, you know, I think having a three-year-old daughter helps now and a one-and-a-half-year-old. But I think it happened before that. It was a little bit of a humbling. And, yeah, I've stood in front of my team and said, I messed up. I didn't coach you right. You weren't set up to be successful. Um, I, I rarely yell, but I yelled one practice. I sent apology to the whole team, uh, to the two kids it was directed at, and then um, said, if you want to talk to me further or if you have any other questions, we'll come in and talk and and I apologize. I make mistakes. I, I'm sorry. It wasn't personal. And I'll do my best for it. Never happen again. But I've I've done it numerous times. Where in my first ten years, never did it one time. You know, and I think it kind of shows. Like I I do have a human element um, where I showed I I thought it was important to show that you didn't before, right? And I I always say I'm on Kai 2.0. Like Kai 1.0 was was a machine, right? No one outworked me. No, nothing. I did everything. And no one's still going to outwork me, but there's a human element to it. And that's why, like, if you just look at my Instagram now, you're, you're going to see more pictures of my daughter and hanging out and whatever. Where before it was, I'm here at a soccer video. I'm here at the soccer training and stuff like that. And I think because of that, I can actually push them to another level because I am no longer superficial with them. And I suppose you've, you're talking a lot about how you've changed then. In, in your time in the game, have you seen the landscape of the, of the game change? <laughs> Um, I mean, it's become more data-driven. Um, you know, sometimes people becoming more robotic. Uh, the data says this, so I must do that. So I wish we still had the human element of it's an art, it's a game. Yeah, there's a science to it, but the art of understanding and going, I kind of wish that would come back. But I also like the fact that if you think your way is good and you're coaching against a data-driven coach, hey, the game's going to tell you which one was right on the day, right? You can't just say it's this way or this way, then then prove it, right? So um, I've seen a lot of data-driven, um, you know, people becoming more emotionally vulnerable um, and to their players and the players back to the coaches, but then also a lot of player shifting and, and being able to be good at um, managing roster change and um, people being more mobile, assistant coaches being more mobile, administration, players all being more mobile and changing places and you have to be comfortable and be able to be successful when things change and still be able to stick to your values and, and your core strengths when the people might change and it could be your fault possibly could not 
I was touching on the thing about admin and stuff, one thing I often get to when I'm speaking to coaches is, I thought I was going to be on the field and delivering a session and that was it. And actually, <laughs> everything, whatever level you're at, everything that exists around it. So say there's someone listening to this that wants to get to your level and have your kind of job. What do they need to know about everything that exists around it, not just on the field stuff? Dot I's and cross T's, right? And I've been blessed. I was a director of ECNL Club, a development academy club, coach call, everything. Uh, and dotting I's, crossing T's, asking questions, but familiarizing yourself with everyone's job. You know, you don't have to micromanage them, but if you are hiring someone, you are probably responsible for helping them do their job well. Right, so have an understanding of what a volunteer does, what a SID does, what you know, the grounds crew doesn't mean you have to micromanage them, but when they need help, you might be in charge of that, right? Or you might be in charge of helping them find information. But I think, you know, when you look at it, and yeah, there's a lot of administrative, especially I think in college and and in club, um, if you want to coach a lot, be great at administrative work. So you minimize your time doing administrative work and you're allowed to coach. If you just want to coach, you will spend more time doing administrative work because you don't know how to do it, right? So uh, one thing I feel strong about is my ability to be administratively good and, and organize um, with that stuff and my communication to, to administration to make sure uh, everything's done right on time, whatever, allows me to think about soccer more because you know we're sharp with the details of administration. <laughs> Tell us then what a day in your life looks like from the second you wake up, Kai. Uh, I wake up, I take my uh, protein <laughs> shake. Um, I wake my kid up at eight. Thank God they slept till eight. Take both kids to daycare. Before I go to daycare, I clear my email almost every day before I get out of bed, which I know isn't healthy, but it's healthy for me. So I double check anything that needs to be responded quickly or whatever. Take my kid to daycare, uh, go get uh, acai bowl. Uh, nice healthy breakfast to finish the day. Go into the office, relook at emails, respond to everything. If if I haven't responded in 24 hours, the email got deleted somehow. I and that's just something people can always count on me about. So I double check that. I go back through my checklist that I probably made the night before and planned for the day. I relook at the session for the day that I probably planned four days before, but double check with information from medical and physical, uh, any anyone that needs to now be changed or adjust it. Um, then I watch Law & Order in my office for about 45 minutes to an hour, true story, um, and hang out to see if anyone comes in. Uh, then our, our team lifts at 10, I go lift with them usually. We train at 11. Uh, that ends, sit in my office, do whatever, if, if player wants to meet, chat. Go check in with a couple admins. And where are we at? We good? Everything's good. Uh, try to go catch a basketball practice right now. Mentor women's basketball. See how other things are done. Uh, pick up my kid at three. Hang out with them for a little bit. Then kid goes to hangs out at a babysitter uh, for an hour or two. I go back to work. Um, plan sessions. Cut video from training. We video almost every training. Cut video. Deliver it to the team by that night. Come back. Make dinner. Put kid to sleep. Go back, double check email, double check all text messages have been responded to and cleared. Say hi to my wife, watch a TV show with my wife, go to sleep, repeat. Wow. Okay. Creature of habit. Yeah. Well, it sounds like great habits. I, 
And you mentioned your kids a few times. So we, in Women's Soccer Coaching, a while back, we did an issue on mums who coach. You're a dad who coaches. How important is that to be able to fit that into your day like you've just described? And also, what has being a dad given to you as a coach and how has that changed you as a coach? Yeah, I mean, I have babies. So I have three years old and a year and a half. Um, My wife uh, has always been a remote worker, uh, works downstairs, and she makes the money in the house. Um, So I do whatever I need to make sure she gets to work also. Um, Yeah, I I think it's it's hugely important. you know, I think it made me a little more human when I see that, you know, uh, about my kid. Obviously, my kid has cried now and, you know, has been hurt in some way, like upset someone took her toy or something. So seeing it from the other side on how a parent reacts and stuff like that, it's been good. But I think it's my kids come around practice. So it's kind of cool that they have a bunch of big sisters that, you know, and role models. And, you know, even when I was coming here, my, my daughter said, are you going to go see the soccer Thunderbirds? And I'm like, no, I'm going to this thing across country and she's like so the football thunderbirds or the basketball thunderbirds because that's all she knows is the thunderbirds at suu uh and i was like ah there might be you know i just made up something she's like okay uh, i want to be a basketball thunderbird right so to have have the vision for them and we have two gymnastics people that babysit her so she's you know working on flips and wants to be a gymnastics thunderbird and uh, I, I think it's it's good i'm i'm not a real balanced person and i'm okay with it uh I think it's good to hang out with them, but also have them a part of it, uh, you know, and I, it's fun. It's fun to have the little ones. It's hard to be away from them right now, but I'm, I'm one of those crazy parents. You know, we had kids late. I'm 42, and uh, so I, I watched them on their monitor sleep last night in, in my hotel room here and saw her. We just changed her to a toddler's bed, so I saw her get out of her bed at 2 a.m. in the morning and watch. But, you know, I think as a, as a soccer dad, like, sometimes, yeah, are you forgotten sometimes because – you know, um, and and that's okay. The moms do way more, <laughs> and they're way more important. But yeah, I, I think there is a challenge to being a soccer dad uh, and being, you know, present in your kid's life while being present in thirty other kids' lives because they're both important. You know, and I think it's a challenge. And what my wife does very well, August, August and November, it's almost no questions asked. My my job's to work. December to late January, I'm stay at home dad. You know, well, not right now, Kai. You're at the convention. I, I was the last five days, though. So. <laughs> um, and then, you know, when when we get out again in June, that's stay-at-home dad. And she does a very good, like, when it's time to be present, be present. She works a lot also. She knows I'm, I'm better at, uh, like, if we're on a family vacation, for me to still work. Because I'll, I'll get antsy if things load up for a week. So me and her, I usually work from 9 to 10.30 in the morning. And she works from 1 to 2 on a vacation so we both clear our days and then we're more free of mind but that's what works for us we're i'm not good at turning everything off for a week I, i'll get too anxious and i'll hate the vacation i'm on but that's what works for us so i think it's been fun okay i'm gonna ask you a few i'm calling quick fire questions but no problem you don't have to answer them quickly and i can't promise i won't have a spin-off question perfect so, first of all Say a brand new coach is listening. They're about to take their first ever training session. What are you saying to them? You're going to fail. Write it down, film it, ask for someone's advice to look at it that will give you an honest answer, and be self-critical. If that's your personality. If your personality is to be happy no matter what happens, be, be you. Um, but self-critical is going to allow you to grow and just know 
half your team's going to hate your session, half your team's going to love it, and that's okay. Okay, so we've got a volunteer, a part-time coach, really pushed for time, needs to prepare, needs to get on top of stuff. What are you saying to them? Prioritize. Pick two or three things that are super important to you. Um, and there is enough hours in the day, no matter what, what people say, right? There's enough hours in the day. Maybe you're in a time period. I know it's unhealthy. Maybe you're in a time period where you're, you're only sleeping six hours instead of eight because you need two more hours to, to get to where you want to need to in this three months. That's, that's life sometimes. I know it's not supposed to be, but let's, let's talk about real facts. You know, and, and you prioritize the two or three things that are important to your current environment and your growth, and then you excel at them. Okay, so we've got a coach that is stuck in a rut. They think they're delivering the same sessions. They're not sure of the impact the sessions are having. They want some new ideas. They may be falling out of love with the game a little bit. How do they re-enthuse themselves? Go to the United Soccer Coaches uh, Convention. Um, yeah, I've only had that one time in my life. And so I actually, I struggle to speak to it because, like, I don't, I personally, in my opinion, for me, it's hard for to get burnt out if you love it. So if you're burnt out, you maybe have fallen out of love. In my personal opinion, that's not a scientific opinion. Um, and then you have to ask yourself, why? How do I fall back in love? Do you need a break? Do you need to quit? Do you, do you need to change your role? Maybe you're a U14 head coach. Go be the U15 assistant for a season, right? And, and see it from a different way, less pressure, less challenge, and, and you see it in a different way. Uh, but it's always self-analyze. Um, you know, SWAT, set up a plan, figure it out, and, and go forward. It's hard for me. Literally, I've only been there once, and I had a couple sips and bounced back and, and went after it three, three weeks later. <laughs> okay, final question. What is it about coaching that keeps you up at night? What is it in your current role that you're, you can't sleep because of? Not scoring enough goals. And we actually scored, I think, the most or second most in school history this year, but still not scoring goals and recruiting. I, I made a name for myself in recruiting um, at Michigan, at St. Mary's, at Santa Barbara, just working and recruiting. And it keeps me up at night because we're a regional-based school, Southern Utah, you know, and Utah has its own different demographic than most places. So even though we're in Southern Utah, we still have to explain to people where Southern Utah is. Um, and so recruiting... Constantly staying on top of recruiting players, um, student athletes that are going to be good in your environment. I'm strong enough minded to, if someone's like, oh, this kid's good, okay, well, I'll make the decision. Oh, no, these five schools, one or two. It means nothing to me. Um, you know, so I think recruiting and scoring goals are the two biggest things that keep me up every single night. That was the voice of Kai Edwards. Thanks to Kai for his time. And thanks to you for listening to the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. For more from us, join us again next time or visit soccercoachweekly.net to get practice plans, advice, interviews and much more. I'm Steph Fairbairn. See you again soon.